What are cryptocurrency wallets and addresses? Why are there so many of them and how do they actually work? I live unbanked off of cryptocurrency and I use BitRefill extensively because it lets me pay with crypto at places that don't yet accept it directly. This one service more than any other helps me live on crypto, pay your prepaid phone bill, or buy gift cards to thousands of major retailers around the world, all with cryptocurrency, including for exact amounts so you don't have to buy more gift credit than you need for a specific purchase. You can use BitRefill without an account, but if you get an account, you can earn rewards points, which translate to savings, and you can also hold a balance denominated in dollars or euros to protect yourself against market crashes. Go to bitrefill.com, click Create Account, and enter the referral code DCN, or follow the link in the description. So once again, this is the audio-only podcast version. Watch the video version. It has a lot of interesting uh, visuals, of course, especially with this whole um, demonstrating how different inputs and outputs work by using some props. So if it gets a little confusing here, whatever. Just watch the video version, YouTube and Odyssey. Those are the places to go look for it. So anyway, let's get on with it. And now you know how to send and receive, basically, copy and paste addresses, things like that. Just get by. Congratulations, that's great. But you're probably still pretty confused as to how these things actually work. And guess what, if you're a crypto pro as well, there's still probably something you can learn from this. I'm just trying to break down the concept and how it works on a greater understanding level and basically get us past just the, well, you copy paste, do this, put this in here, and then that's how you do it. And then that's kind of all you know. So hopefully you'll learn something from this you didn't already know and kind of get a greater full understanding on how this you know bizarre new technology really works. Now, this is a deep dive for newbies. Don't come after me if you're like, well, but it's actually the UETXO, the input output. I'm trying to make a complex subject easy so you can actually understand the full depth of the thing without actually having to master the whole thing. So forgive my metaphors. If you disagree, make a better video. What can I say? Anyway, let's get going. So first off, we have to differentiate between wallets, addresses, and exchanges, which there's a million different other things, but those are the main things that people will be interacting with and will be, let's be honest, confusing for each other. So first off, a wallet is a container for your money. That's basically what it is. It's a digital container where you can put all your money in and use it to send other things. And so anyone using cryptocurrency uses a wallet to send and receive things. Consider it like your actual wallet. You have a little pouch where all your money goes in. When people give you money, it goes in there, and then you take it out to give to other people. It's the same basic concept. Generally speaking, when people are talking about wallets, they mean something that you control yourself, as in no one can just take it from you. No one decides where the money goes, only you. You have absolute control over it, kind of like the wallet in your own pants. Now, what's an address then? I thought that was the wallet. Well, an address is a part of the wallet you can use to receive and send money. So consider it like a pouch in your wallet, right? You got your whole wallet, you flip through the pouches, oh, there's money in this one. You can take it from there and send it. There might be other money in other pouches, or when you receive it, you put it in different ones. So an address is a way of getting money into the wallet. It's also where it is when you take it out of the wallet. The wallet is a container of addresses. That's kind of the easiest way to think of it. And finally, an exchange, and I'm not differentiating between exchanges and brokerage services and the more technical hair splitting things on that just but basically it's a site or an app 
where you can buy and sell cryptocurrency. Unlike most wallets, if you have an exchange account, you don't actually control that money. It's yours, I guess, legally, but the funds are in control of another entity. And if they go crazy, they can decide to take it all away. Now, exchange accounts do come with a wallet. It's just not a wallet you control. A wallet can have more than one address. An exchange can operate many wallets, but not all wallets are owned by exchanges. Generally speaking, just as you'd want most of your cash to be in a wallet in your own pants, you want most of your digital cash to be in a wallet that you control. So basically, to make it super simple, if wherever you keep your crypto, if it doesn't tell you to back it up or write down a recovery phrase or something like that, then it's not really where you should be storing your money. You should store it in one that does ask you these kinds of things that you do actually have control over and only put it in a place that you don't have control over when you want to actually swap it around. Recovery phrase security is one of these things that's really, I think, underappreciated. Just anecdotally, the number of people I know who never even write down their recovery phrase of like, say their phone wallet, which has, you know, 20, 30, 40 bucks worth, 100 bucks, whatever, which could be astronomically higher when the price changes. But it's pretty crazy to think just how few people pay attention to this kind of level of security. And even those who actually do write it down, just scrawl it somewhere, throw it in a sock drawer, Either it's out in the open where everyone can see it, or it's somewhere they forget where it is. And then it's like, oh, wow, I lost everything. Let me go find how to recover it. Oh, I can't find it because I never really paid attention to that. That's a little rough, too. Of course, it's a good idea to give this a lot more thought than you might initially think. So, for example, if you want to write down your phrase in multiple locations... Obviously, that makes it easier for someone to find it and then therefore compromise it. But it also makes it a lot easier for you to actually remember in case, you know, part of your house gets destroyed or whatever. So far, it seems like the biggest thieves are our own incompetence. So I would probably think you should back up your funds in a few different places. Just, you know, pen and paper. Nothing digital for recovery phrases because that's a lot easier to compromise. Some people do have like a wallet.dat file, like a wallet file that they'll back up on like a thumb drive or something. And that's a whole different thing. But most things these days don't use that. They use the recovery phrase. This isn't just a big negative, right? It, this isn't just, oh, look how hard this is. Be careful. Make sure you don't lose your money. Think about how revolutionary this whole thing is. I mean... Before, you know, you have your electronic funds, they're tied to a bank account of sorts, they bank, they can censor you, they can stop you, they can do whatever, and you basically need someone else's permission to do this. Now, with this, you don't. Kind of like, let's say you have gold or silver or something with savings. You don't need anyone's permission to store it. You don't need to start with someone. The problem is it becomes bulky. Like if you have a lot of money, you just have to line up all your gold bars in your closet, that becomes a little, a little difficult. Or, you know, big stacks of paper money or whatever, hoarding stuff at home. But that makes it a lot harder to actually store, if you think about it, right? Because you basically are limited to physical space, and then someone can just go to your house or your physical location you control and just raid you. Just take all your stuff. That's not very safe at all. With cryptocurrency, you can just write down 12 or 24 words somewhere which is pretty easy to hide, including in your own brain. You can even memorize these things. Or you could put them on metal plates or something that's harder to destroy and put it in an order that no one else knows. Or Whatever you do, you can do stuff where basically no one can touch your funds anywhere. They'd have to be very competent to be able to do something like that. 
and then say your house burns down. Oh, whoops, you got your stuff on you. You could take your money anywhere. What happens if you have to flee the country and you don't have the time to just lug this big giant suitcase full of gold or whatever, a pallet full of gold ship across the Atlantic, whatever it is, you don't have to do that. You can just have a little piece of paper in your pocket or, you know, on the inside of your underwear, however you want to keep it, you crazy, filthy animal. However you do that, in fact, they actually sell these little tubes that are individual letters or individual words, I can't remember which which it is, in like a cylinder. So you have this cylinder little tube you can hang around your neck that has all your money in it, basically. Has access to all your money in it. Then all you need to do is just access the internet somewhere and some device. And if you put those words in, boom, you get your money back. And that's pretty crazy that you can just have access to all your worldly wealth all in there and especially as we're especially as we're moving forward in the digital age the decentralized digital age where you're not just storing money anymore you're storing a lot of other things a lot of important information imagine all your data and documents and to a certain extent life's work in addition to your money all being able to be stored on something like that now you get to a point where you have complete uncancelability i'm sure you've seen in recent times there's been a lot of controversy around certain individuals or people who then end up getting canceled in some way, shape, or form. Say they get kicked off of social media, which, you know, can always still happen, I guess. They lose their lifetime's worth of posts, of videos, or whatever they've been uploading. It just gets deleted by wherever they had it. And, you know, that's no good. And, of course, there was some gym owner who resisted lockdown orders, and basically they took all his money out of his bank account. They just took it. And if you have your money in a little magic special phrase, that can never really be taken from you unless you, you know, screw up or in case someone knows you have it and decides to attack your physical person. But it's always a lot harder to just go after someone's like physical person than it is other things. There's a lot more social complications. They have to actually physically locate you, things like that. A lot of people will say, you know, well, the $5 ranch, blah, blah, blah. Well, that's true, but... You can do that already. Like you're, you can already have someone, you know, run to someone, hit them over the head, and say, "You're never seeing your family again unless you do this." You can already kind of do that. Now, if you do have your physical personhood compromised, then that's kind of the end of the road for a lot of ways. So, at that point, if you're worried about your own body being destroyed and just, you know, being killed, whatever then at that point, you're not going to be thinking, oh, well, what about all my money? What about my life's artistic work? It's like, we're way past that. But it's a lot easier to just attack those little other vectors of what you find valuable. It's a lot easier to just seize your funds from a bank account and keep you from traveling and take away all your, you know, revoke your passport, or take away all your documents and, you know, that kind of stuff. Or just burn your house down while you're not there, while you are there, whatever. It's a lot easier to go after you like that. But if you have most of what you value in, you know, the sky in a decentralized kind of a network that you only you have the keys to and those keys can be hidden in quite a few ways, including in your own brain, I think that you're in a pretty good position. And so while right now we might kind of think it's a little of a pain in the butt to do proper backups for these things, um, it's worth learning, right? It's definitely worth learning how to do it because if you do, you're, you have access to so much 
power and freedom that is unprecedented in human history before right about this moment. So, you know, enjoy it while it lasts. It's a good time. Now here comes the really confusing part that I'm hopefully going to make a little less confusing. Why are there so many addresses? Why do you have to get a new one every time? What are all these little inputs and outputs and things like that? It, it gets really confusing. I've never heard anyone really explain it too well, but try to think of it like cash, right? If you have cash, you don't just have a lump sum of money. You have a bunch of units of cash that you use to pay and get change for and all those kinds of things like that. So think of an address as a little disposable cup or container that you can kind of use once and then, you know, get rid of. And a wallet is a whole stack, an infinite stack of these kinds of containers. So say I have a wallet and I have an address and this is the money I have in there. Okay, so I'm going to go pay for something. Something costs $8. So here I go, I go, whoop, take the $10 out because that's what I have. But it was $8, so of course you get change, and this goes into a separate one. So now this address is empty, and you got change into the change address. That's kind of how that works. So let's say you want to get paid. Instead of just showing someone this address, oh look, they can see what's in there already. Now we'll use a different one, a whole new one, so we don't let the whole world know how much money we have. All right, so someone paid me $1, so whoop, here it goes. Goes into this one, right? Oh, someone paid me $2, here we go. Right into this one. Oh wait, now someone paid me $20. Whoa, here we go. Into this one. So now this is my wallet. I have all these, so now this is my wallet. I have all these addresses with different little bits of money in them. And by the way, I swear it's not nearly as difficult to juggle in real life, it's kind of automated. Okay, so now what happens if I want to spend this stuff? Well, what happens if something costs $10? I would take the $20 input, give it over, and into my little change address here, whoop, there goes $10. So then I spent 10, I got the 10 back, there you go. Now what if I wanna buy something that costs $12? Well, I got this 10 chunk and this two right here. So I take both of these, whoop, empty them out, and there you go, that's what I use. And so on and so forth. Generating new addresses every time adds greater privacy, so it's harder for someone who pays you to see how much money you have and who else you might have paid. Really privacy conscious people will be careful to never get any change back or combine funds from different addresses in a single transaction. For even better privacy, there's also mixing services that break up your money into pieces, mix them with other people's money, and give you back a balance that no one can see where it came from, so you can spend it, but it isn't easily traced back to you. And I know it seems a little complicated, but wallets do automate this kind of a thing. So if I send you whatever, I just send whatever amount I want to, and you get whatever back, and all the juggling of the different inputs and the little little different addresses and baskets and things, that all happens back end. You don't really need to know about that unless you're an advanced user, a super privacy conscious user, whatever it is. You don't really need to care too much about that stuff. Just remember, get a new address every time you want to get paid. That's a pretty easy rule to remember, right? Depending on which cryptocurrency you use, you might have to deal with the unfortunate thing of different address formats. There's so many different address formats, depending on which one. You'd think, oh, I just send to this one for this coin, this one for the other cryptocurrency, whatever. But no, some have multiple formats, and it can get pretty confusing. But in most cases, you only really have to deal with one. The others can serve advanced functionality, usually multi-signature. Bitcoin Cash added a new address format so people would stop sending to Bitcoin addresses accidentally. So now there's two. Bitcoin addresses could start with a 1 or a 3 for script hash or a BC1 for SegWit, including for getting on the Lightning Network. 
Some addresses are multi-sig, meaning they're controlled by multiple people. Regarding all these different address formats and stuff, I forgot another one on Bitcoin, which is Taproot. There's some upgrade that, you know, I'm not going to get into that, who cares, called Taproot, which would introduce another address format. And that kind of just adds to the whole complexity of things. It's like, okay, well, we have the one address format, the basic one, starting with the one. We have the one starting with the three, that's some special script stuff. We have the BC1 SegWit address, which could just be like a SegWit address, or it could be to enter a Lightning Network channel. And then we're getting, you know, multi-sig. Now we have this taproot thing. Like, it's already confusing enough to just have to juggle multiple addresses, let alone a single address no one can read. It's just, but it's so much worse when you have like all these different formats. So you might be like, oh, I can't like, hey, send me an address, I'll send you the money. Oh, not that kind. I need a different kind. Well, how do I get the different kind? It's just like, it's such a user experience headache. And this is one of those unfortunate results of kind of tack on features. This is where it gets a little crypto political possibly, but a lot of Bitcoin's upgrades were done in a soft fork way without changing the entire code base to make things in the past incompatible. And that was deliberately done like that. And it's a design decision. I don't really agree with it. And as a result, it might be easier for anyone. It might still let anyone who doesn't want to upgrade their software still use the network, but it becomes very difficult to use all these special features. Like for example, SegWit was supposed to be a scaling solution to a certain extent it's still like majority not used in Bitcoin because it's this opt-in thing that people have to use different addresses and stuff. And same thing with Lightning Network. It's not just an option that you can use. It's just, it's like a tacked on thing. And all these different tacked on things make complexity for the average user really terrible. Now, of course, the nerds love it. They're like, oh, I get to use this. I get to use that. I get to compile my own. It's like, yeah, but the average user is never going to learn and memorize all these address formats. I even feel stupid talking to you about it right now because you probably don't give a crap. But then you think about, okay, well, Bitcoin Cash, rather than just starting as a fresh project, is like, we're the real Bitcoin, but we scale on chain. And then, okay, well, then you have the exact same address format that the exact same address keeps both coins in them. And then at some point, some were forked off, right? And so... Now, what you got to do is if you you can send Bitcoin Cash to a Bitcoin address and vice versa, which at that point, it's like you send your money, you send the wrong kind of Bitcoin. It does go through. That's the problem. It goes through, but then it just doesn't work. Then it's just gone. You're like, I just sent my money into an abyss. How does this work? And, and then, of course, someone has to go go in there and like, split the coins and like you know send it back to you and have you try again became just needlessly complicated because you tried to be this the real bitcoin when there is a real bitcoin then they introduced the cash address format which actually looks unique nothing quite looks like it so if you see it you know it's a bitcoin cash address and you can send and receive to that and that, that works the problem is some older wallets still have the old legacy addresses. So now there's like two address formats. You're like, wait, this is the wrong one. How do I not send this? I had this before where I was trying to send and receive Bitcoin cash from a little swap service. And I forget if it was their format or my format, but one of the two was incompatible. So it's like, all right, put it in your Bitcoin cash address. It's like, I put it in. Nope, doesn't work. 
and like then you have to go do an address converter and all this other headache. This is one reason why I like simpler projects. And one thing that I do appreciate about Dash, while we're still at the phase where unfortunately we use long cryptographic hashes, the Dash address starts with an X and that's it, there's one type. There might be a multi-sig type too. So there's a couple different ones, but for the most part, everyone just uses one. There's no confusion. You're not like, well, am I sitting to the wrong one here or there? And also all this just reminds me we need something that works for regular people. We need human readable usernames and contact lists, which you know I'm about to talk about in just a little bit. First, I'm going to talk about um, account-based cryptocurrencies. They're a little bit different from this. So anyway, um, yeah. So I broke down how this works with different denominations, making change, having different little pockets called addresses, all that kind of stuff. But is this the way all cryptocurrencies work? Or is it just things like, say, Bitcoin and Dash? Well, no. UTXO-based cryptocurrencies, as they're known, do work like this. But others are account-based, and they don't actually have these kinds of things. That works a lot more like, say, a bank account. All right, so you got A and B, right? A has 100 bucks, B has nothing. And then when you make a transaction, there we go, plus 50 from A to B. A now has 50, and B now has 50. And that's kind of how it works, except without the atrocious handwriting. Some notable cryptocurrencies that use this kind of system are, say, Ethereum and Nano and things like that. And they'll only have one address, right? You send and receive to one address. You don't do this whole getting a new address thing every time. And you don't have pieces of coins around that you join together. It's just sent, receive, sent, receive. That's it. Account-based cryptocurrencies are simpler and save data, but have worse privacy because all transactions are tied to one account. They also make specific funds harder to identify and single out, which is good for fungibility or making all similar units of money the same, but can make it harder to identify a specific set of funds, such as that were used for historical transaction or stolen funds. And finally, we get to the subject of usernames, or rather, human-readable usernames. There are a few different schemes that are out there that basically go on top of the base layer. So at the base layer, the way it actually works under the hood is always going to be these long cryptographic hashes that you send and receive to, for the most part, right? Um, username systems kind of go on top of there and help to, like, at the flying squirrel sends to at Jenny5, <laughs> or whatever the usernames are. You put those in. Under the hood, it goes back and forth the same as we described above, but it just looks a lot prettier. It's a lot easier on the surface. Now, most username setups, regardless of the coin that they use, just resolve to one address, just a single address, even if it's a coin that uses the UTXO system. Therefore, it kind of harms privacy because you're just sending the same address over and over, which is a big no-no, as of course we know. There are starting to be some that even though I send to the same username three times in a row, it will get a new address every single time back end. And so you don't have those kinds of problems. Here's a real quick kind of generic breakdown of the username setups that are out there right now. I'll do a longer video on this in maybe a couple months or something, breaking down in greater detail all the different username systems so you can kind of see which ones you like. Some blockchains like Steam slash Hive have usernames instead of addresses, which means you can easily look up someone's entire transaction history. ENS and Unstoppable Domains for Ethereum, but also other coins, as well as FIO, resolve to a static address, so after sending to one, you can look up the transaction history. Handcash and PayMail resolve to a new address every time, as do Dash usernames, which, depending on when you're watching this, are either on testnet or fully deployed on mainnet.
Fio and Handcash let you send extra data along with your transaction, though with Handcash, the data is internal to their own wallet system. Any and all contact lists are centrally stored on the wallet service you use. Only Dash contact lists are protocol level, meaning your username and contact list follow you whichever app you plug your decentralized identity into. So that's it on this whole topic of wallets and addresses and things like that. Are you even more confused than you were before? Well, I hope not, but either way, it shouldn't have to matter for very much longer because there's a whole lot of systems, as I described about the usernames, that are coming up that are making this a lot easier. And I have a feeling in the next few years, no one who isn't like a coder, who isn't like developing backend solutions for companies and things like that will almost never see an address, a raw address anymore. I mean, think about it with cars. Almost no one in the US at least, I know it's different in other countries, actually deals with a manual transmission where you shift the gears like I do on my car. Very few people do that. And then in a few more years, there will be probably a lot fewer gasoline vehicles. So almost no one will know how to pump gas or anything like that. It's just the way things evolve. So my prediction is within just a few years, anyone using cryptocurrency will have to look for these old school addresses and you won't really have to care about this anymore. But this is just a general understanding bit, so you get to see kind of how the whole thing works under the hood, right? Without actually having to be an advanced user. Just, just so you kind of know what's going on under there, even if you don't 100% understand it, just for a good overview. So anyway, I'll see you guys next time, but please feel free to tell me what other topics you might want to see covered that I haven't yet done. Let me know. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, subscribe so you don't miss an episode and donate to support the show by going to my Cointree page. That's cointr.ee slash thedesertlinks and leave a message with your donation. Check out the show's sponsors. Live on crypto with BitRefill. Buy absolutely anything with crypto with ShopinBit. Avoid content censorship with Odyssey. Protect your privacy online with NordVPN. Get paid to search with PreSearch. All links are in the show notes.